Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. From Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge, we're out to lunch with editor of the Baton Rouge Business Report, Stephanie Regal. It's business Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In May 2013, New Orleans businessman John Georges bought Baton Rouge's beloved family-owned newspaper, The Advocate. At a time when media companies around the country were selling off their dailies or going exclusively digital, Georges was a salmon swimming upstream. In the years since, he has grown the paper in Lafayette and New Orleans and acquired the New Orleans Times-Picayune, as well as several community newspapers, actually 13, and New Orleans alternative weekly Gambit. What's the business model at this growing media company that appears to be defying the odds? And what is it like to be a newspaper executive in an age of digital disruption? Joining me to discuss this today is The Advocate's publisher, Judy Terzotis. Judy is a veteran media executive who grew up in Tennessee and spent 25 years of her career at Gannett, where she spent four years as president of Gannett, Louisiana, and two years as president of its Gulf region, which includes five papers in Louisiana, two in Mississippi, and one in Alabama. So she knows the business. She joined Georgia's Media in January 2018. Since that, she's grown the staff and circulation of the Advocate of Acadiana, and played a key role in combining the New Orleans Advocate, the Times-Picayune, and NOLA.com after Georgia's acquired the Venerable TP and its online platform in 2019. Judy, it is such a pleasure to have you with me today on Out to Lunch, and I'm really excited about this conversation because, as you can imagine, it's near and dear to my heart. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to be Absolutely. here today. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. So as I mentioned, The Advocate, of course, until 2013, which really doesn't seem like that long ago, was locally owned by the Manship family. And then John George has acquired it, has grown it and expanded most recently with the acquisition of the Times-Picayune and 13 weeklies around the region along the way, as you mentioned to me. That's just crazy. How, how did you become part of this media empire? And I was so fortunate in how things work out. I mean, I came to Louisiana through Gannett. And, you know, 25 years, the company's very good to me. But Louisiana's been very special. My son went to LSU. Mm. We were actually in Nashville. And he looked at every SEC school. And he said, I want to drive down to LSU. And I said, great. My husband said, I'm not driving nine and a half hours. (laughs) He's never going to go to LSU. Long story short, he fell in love with LSU and the culture. And so I had been acquainted with the state and knew the advocate, obviously, because it was the state's largest newspaper. So I had some history even before I came to Louisiana. But when I did in 2013, about the same time that he purchased The Advocate, Mm -hmm. I was in several social events and got to meet John. And over the course of a few years, we just, you know, he kind of would twist my, call me his frenemy (laughs) or that Greek lady in Lafayette and say, you know, I hope someday we can talk about you joining my company. And, you know, timing worked out really, really well. Gannett was going through a reimagining of the top structure and I was a regional president. There were 12 of us. Wow. 
about a year before, about 2012, we were brought to corporate and they said, you know, in about a year, your job is going away. So I It was nice they gave you a little warning at least, right? (laughs) It was lovely. (laughs) No, but seriously, it helped me, you know, also make sure I was placing my staff and putting them in good positions as they were restructuring. But I ran into John and to Dan Shea, the former publisher, and they said, really, we're we're about ready to make a move on replacing Dan because he wants to retire. So very fortunate to get to know him and to be able to, to come on to the organization. Right. And so, but, but John and his wife, Daythol Coleman Georges, are, are the owners. They're the, the money behind the paper. And, and, and you as publisher, you run it. Correct. And you run all three of the, the major advocates and the Times Pick Units, really now one one joint paper. Correct. And so tell me about the, about the content sharing and sort of the, um, how, I mean, are these individual newspapers, each sort of a regional version with a lot of the same stories that run throughout and then individual ones tailored for the market? Yeah, great question. Because I think really when the manships first went into New Orleans, it was, you know, that entry into the market, it was really Baton Rouge papers, as you say, just with an addition, maybe a, a section that was localized to New Orleans. And all of these communities are very proud. Yes. <laughs> they want their own local content. And so quickly when, you know, after the purchase, John and Dan said, no, these if we're going to be in a community, they deserve their own publication. So bigger, broader topics like state politics, LSU, things that people care about across the state, absolutely those stories are shared. But when it comes to local news reporting, unless it's an anomaly like the Hard Rock, you know, unfortunately right. collapsed, <laughs> then those stories are just for those markets. And so we have staffs in each of them, they each have their own managing editor, and it's important to us to really reflect the communities. So they Mm -hmm. are, it's an anomaly in this business to see how robust the products are that are very, very targeted to the local audiences. So explain how this business model works, because you're not, I mean, I guess you are behind a paywall now, and that that helps a little bit. I, I suppose that helps maybe a lot. Well, we are but now, we're a little bit behind the, the eight ball when it comes to this industry going on, asking to be paid for content online. So we put a group together really shortly after I joined The Advocate just to look at what model paywall would we want to go to and really sought out, you know, Washington Post, Minneapolis, I mean, some of the real leaders, Sacramento. And we, what the model we put up, it's a propensity model. So it's not your traditional one size fits all where you get 15 articles a month. And then if you hit that 16th, you're served up, you know, a paywall. Ours is about propensity to subscribe. So the more news that you really consume, then you're going to have a higher likelihood that we're, you're going to, we're going to ask you to pay for it. So we really believe that, you know, our journalists deserve to be paid for their content, and just like they do in print. And so it's part of our business model. But we're, we're in infancy. We launched last April. <laughs> so we're not even right. at a year. So we have about 6,500 digital-only subscribers. And to give you an idea, this is a stat I use. doesn't mean it's the end-all, be-all. But to pay for all of our newsroom salaries, mm-hmm. what would that number need to be? So over a course of time, we would need to get to 66,000 digital-only subscribers. That would pay for the salaries of all of our new staff. Wow. Yeah, so we, we've got a long way to go, but we're doing it in a way that's very thoughtful. It's mm-hmm. very sophisticated. We use Mather Economics and Blue Conic, two of the leaders in this space, to help us navigate. 
Fantastic. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you, you know, you look at the paper, the printed edition of the paper, just like all papers, and they get smaller and smaller because everybody's going online. So how how do you do it in, a, in an era of decreasing print circulation? And how do we measure circulation, really, so that you can sell ads? Well, because it, it doesn't really show up, you know, on the old traditional models like the Alliance for Audited Media that measures print circulation. You know, it shows numbers going down, and yet you all keep growing. How does it work? Part of our growth has, quite frankly, been through acquisition. Mm -hmm. You know, that's helped our numbers. But also, it's about the investment that John and Dathel are making. As you reference, the page count, it's a robust print product. And it's driven by a high number of journalists. And we have 125 journalists across three markets. I mean, we have more journalists in our organization than they do in Nashville, Tennessee in Des Moines, Iowa. So I mean, you let that sit a minute. And those are newsrooms I used to be at the Tennessean, the yeah. newsrooms of 400 at one point. Wow. And so to see the investment on the amount of content that we're generating, local content, along with the number of pages, I mean, Monday and Tuesday, we have four page section newspapers. There's not, there's not a daily of any size in the country that isn't on a two section. So that helps our circulation retain. So it's mm-hmm. about, you know, that customer satisfaction right and if we disappoint our subscribers then if that content isn't good enough they're going to find other ways to consume local news so that's helped our trends tremendously and I just really believe that it's that chicken and the egg it's that investment that they're making sure it's helping us have you know our retention rate be at a very high a well above average sure yeah and then how I mean how Ads online Mm -hmm. don't generate as much revenue for the company as ads in the print product do or or did. So how do you make up that difference financially? And I know it's hard selling, you know, and even if you sell a ton of ads online. That's right. We're right now, we're about 25% of our total ad revenue is digital ad revenue. Mm-hmm. Really, the, the Gannettes of the world, the McClatchy's of the world, that's more like 40%, but they're really? giving it at the expense of print yes. revenue. So when you look at the total, I mean, we're growing revenue year over year as a total, which is, again, bucking the trend um, substantially. But we've added other lines of revenue mm-hmm. and events is one of those so last year as an example we did a big prep event brought drew breeze in 1300 attendees at laberge and through sponsor revenue and ticket revenue generated a nice amount of profit so those those kind of events and some are small and some are large is a new revenue stream well we're really trying to diversify and get more customers to spend up not mm-hmm. at the expense of print because print still works in the south i mean the reader if the readership's there you have the right demos on print advertisers get results so it's it's balancing and not you know taking out of one pocket to put into the other and you say in the south is it because in the South, people are more traditional and they just cling to doing things the old way? I think so. I mean, you yeah. really, in my tenure with Gannett, with Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama, we saw very similar readership trends. The people still like print, and it's not just just boomers. It's actually, you can skew a little bit younger. So, you know, it's at some point, print will diminish and, sure. at, a, at a fast rate. But right now, there's still an appetite, and it's still, you know, it's, it, it's still a value for customers. So that's interesting, because I did, I wanted to ask you about the new product lines and services that you all are, because it's a, it's a different way of generating revenue. And the Breeze example is, is a great one. What else are y'all doing, you know, here in Baton Rouge and any 
new sort of publications or, or training things or like the business expo right. that y'all had. I don't know if that was a, a paid event. It or, was, right? yes. You know, and I tra- you know, that my background, I came from Gannett, and in Gannett, I, I helped lead the event division also mm-hmm. as part of my job. So I was lucky to be, have that exposure and really just found if you can bring either content expertise or a, a kind of a peek behind the curtain, <laughs> if you will, something very special and people are willing to, first of all, take their time because people are so busy and go attend an event, but they're also willing to pay. And so we have the Economic Summit. We have also panelists from in New Orleans recently, all women chefs. And so wow, we had an evening and it was just moderated. We had about 200 people. It, it, so we're trying to, again, find that niche. Mm-hmm. Um, also merchandise. I was mentioning earlier, you know, the LSU, thank goodness, you know, the national right, championship. Right, right. <laughs> we had a store online and it was selling front pages here and there and photos, but we got really serious. And at the start of the season, all of our front pages with sports, we started making posters. And so, so great. that, and of course, so as, smart. as they were winning, as they were winning, people were buying more and more posters. And literally, if you went into our office right now, it looks like a little manufacturing because we have so many posters and so many orders. We're right now running about trying to fulfill 2,000 a week, 2,000 posters going out in the mail. So and then wow. we've added T-shirts and we've added mugs. So, I mean, it's just taking an opportunity and saying, okay, how, what, what can we make a difference? What will people care about? Mm-hmm. Um, also, mm-hmm. our building is a beautiful facility right off I-10. John thoughtfully built it too big because he wanted to be able to say, that's Class A office space. I want to be able to have a tenant in there. So we do. We have Hajoka, which does plumbing and supplies it's their HR department and their finance department are on our second floor so just a small and are y'all on one and we're at yeah we're on one and three one and three and they're on two yes so those are just some different things to help the Mm -hmm. business model be so smart right really bringing that business perspective to what had been just a traditional media company so how has acquiring the smaller community newspapers around the region and, and maybe you want to mention some of them um how has that helped? Is it economies of scale kind of thing? And are you able to cross-sell advertising? Like if you buy something for the advocate, do you also maybe get, you know, a little bit in the in the St. Francisville or the Zachary paper? Exactly. Now, you, you, it's all about that efficiency of scale. I mean, there's one printing press. There's one, you know, big finance, IT, HR. It's all headquartered at Baton Rouge. And so we have about 300 employees in Baton Rouge, about 90 in New Orleans, and about 28 in in Acadiana, but New Orleans and Acadiana are predominantly advertising, marketing, and, you know, editorial. So Mm -hmm. we have those teams, but we're all, so the contiguous footprint for any print publication is important to us because we're, although Shreveport has almost become a news desert because the lack of local reporting up in in Shreveport, and we've been lobbied, you know, come by the Shreveport Times or start something. Really? It doesn't make sense for us because it's, you know, over three hours away in trucking every night if we did a print publication. So we think of those markets as digital opportunities for us with local digital news and those digital-only subscribers. But, you know, being able to take that, and we do, we cross-sell. Um, but you'll find a lot of the smaller, those what I w- would call you know, community newspapers, they're there for those very small businesses who mm-hmm. can't afford and really aren't going to pull past maybe a 10-mile radius of their store. They need a local outlet. Right. So they're all there is crossing on the bigger kind of national, the targets of the world. The really the smaller advertisers have an outlet through the community p- publications. 
You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking with Judy Tersotis of The Advocate. We'll be right back after this very short break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Stephanie Regal. I'm talking to Judy Terzotis of The Advocate. You raised such a good point about like a news desert, as you called it up in, in Shreveport. And it's, it's so sad because it seems like in this era of fake news and so much hostility, institutional hostility on so many levels towards the media, and yet more need for on the boots, boots on the ground, local reporting than ever. And I certainly right. see at the business report, the same people that are railing against the media and the liberal this and that, call me up and say, please look into this or please look into that. Right. People want the media to perform its, its traditional duty of shining a light That's on right. what's going on. And so um, speak to that a little bit, you know, and, and the need for it, and especially what it means to be losing that in some of these other communities. Right. I mean, it is. It's, you know, is the traditional media companies, the larger chains, when they look for efficiency, you know, they've, they've cut for years and years and years, and it unfortunately comes down now to, to people and, and cutting resources. And so the numbers of, of journalists that you'll you saw five years ago, even three years ago in Shreveport is a, a shadow of what it is today. And it, it, to us, it's like, how do, we, how do we help those areas in terms of local reporting? But from a business sense, what makes, you know, what yeah. makes profit sense for us as well. So, but we look at the state as a whole, as really our, certainly and in, in, in beyond, as our digital opportunity mm-hmm. and, you know, known for LSU coverage and state politics. So for us to be able to have some of those topics and then layer on is something that we're looking at in terms of expansion. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that's encouraging. So it doesn't really make sense to look at this point moving north or or wherever physically but digitally right right and and when we talk about fake news what is the advocate doing in terms of policy and coverage to combat you know all of the problems that have arisen with that has, has it changed in terms of just the, the kind of maybe disclaimers or maybe the way you address any errors and correcting them right away online or anything that your reporters in the field are doing differently to try to, like I said, combat that perception, you know, about fake news. Yeah, I think internally in terms of just how we write stories and how they're sourced and the number of reads they have before they're published, I I think that goes back to the integrity that the manship's built into that newsroom and we continue to carry on. That hasn't changed. I will tell you that, you know, what social media has done in terms of immediacy, wanting to get out that something, you know, something has happened before all you get all of the details and you get it sourced. That's where it's gotten trickier, and we just have to really caution. I mean, the sad with, with Kobe's passing, you saw that mm-hmm. several you know, national news organizations had put out, you know, erroneous information about who was on the flight and so that that immediacy and wanting to you know it's this this business wants to be first and I respect that but I would (laughs) rather not be first and be right and so we're very we it's been built into that newsroom for let's be cautious let's be correct let's be accurate let's be fair and balanced so that part hasn't changed but I do think you know with reporting and the we look at digital metrics on how many page views reporters are getting how many conversions in terms of digital subscribers so there's this pressure now on 
the reporters and our news generators that they didn't have a few years ago that is driven by by digital and social media so that's the part we have to be very careful right. because you can out of that desire to say I want to be first or hey this is my job to get this up on social to not have sourced it and really made sure that you the content was accurate yeah, I mean social media has changed the whole traditional media business so much right. do you think for the better or the worse <laughs> that's a good question <laughs> a little bit of both I mean a little yeah. I do you know I feel like the the what I've what I've encountered is consumers are coming back to what I'll call more traditional news outlets because they know that they can trust them and and let me I don't mean to interrupt you but you do you know this? That I mean, this, these are trends, and that you all have seen. People we have, are yes. coming back. Yes. Pointer has had; they've uh-huh. written a number of things about that. You know, and it's not. You still have all the doubters, and you have the misinformation, and you know, people love to just use that term almost as a weapon, right? You know, fake news when they see a reporter. But overall, I think for our business, that's not something we're attacked with, thankfully. Yeah. And I think it's because of just the tradition of making sure that we were fair and balanced. Mm-hmm. But but some of the, the positive things about social media, if there are any. Oh, absolutely. You what, can share so readily, share. right? I mean, it just gives you that ability to take that content. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny little story. This morning, we were just looking at content that was just what we'll call preferred or gets a lot of traffic that you wouldn't expect. Anytime we write anything about a cruise, (laughs) seriously about cruising. Really? It immediately gets traction and it's shared at a high rate. And so, I mean, it was just so interesting. So (laughs) I was like, what else do we have that does? But it's it's surprising. Mm -hmm. So you, you have the opportunity to take that content that's special and unique and it gets a much broader reach than it did in the past. And, and, you know, I guess it's a fine line, particularly with the digital product, when we're talking about clickbait, you know, and sort of where do you, where do you draw the line between including content that you know is going to be of interest to your reader based on the metrics and the prior research and the data and something that is just salacious or really right. not, right? I mean, right. You do. You just, and I, and I find that our we're very conservative, so we don't do a lot of clickbait. You know, there's there's the story about you know the camel that you know that <laughs> right? sat on the lady. <laughs> we all know that story. Well, that was an interesting story, and yeah, we rode the heck out of that. I mean, we were it was, it was across all. We got great traffic, and it was just an anomaly. Somebody like, from the Advocate was telling me that that was like the most. It, tremendously it read is. story all year. Yeah, yeah, and then it gets picked up. You know, it gets picked up all, and across the country, and then you you get even more credit. But <laughs> right. yeah, we try not. I mean, the there's a lot of news organizations that use those you know headlines that are clickbait, and it's just it just doesn't fit into our mission. Mm-hmm. And and then the ads that you'll see down on the bottom. Like sometimes I'll be looking, and, and the next thing I know, I'm checking out what Jan Brady looks like now, <laughs> and what happened to Barbie Benton, Absolutely. and I wasted a half an hour, and this I is know. terrible. <laughs> But do these just come from, um, like, services that you all buy and then you all get a cut of it or what? It is. It's it's through programmatic advertising. So it is. It's, you know, those. And they're further down the scroll. Thankfully, yes. yes. (laughs) So, but to your point, they're highly read. So there still is that kind of entertainment value that people still want, you know. How, how do we attract younger readers? You know, I mean, we have young adult children, both of us. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just amazed at how mine as educated as they are and as think they think they're informed about the world but they don't have the habit and maybe it's because that paper doesn't come to their house 
you know, or their apartments, of reading the daily news. They'll see what they see on social media, but that's not the same as it was when I was 23. That's right. And I was starting to read the newspaper every day by then. Exactly. What do we do? What are you all doing to to educate them and, 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 you know, attract them as regular readers that will grow up, you know, or continue to grow. Reading I mean, it is a struggle across the industry, without mm-hmm. a doubt. It's like we want those younger readers and want them to have a lifelong habit. And so anytime we can have an interaction with them that's outside of traditional mm-hmm. news and bringing them together in an event, and this is from my old Gannett day, so I would say this is not something we've done here, but I will tell you it's a great example. We did an event called Unfiltered in Lafayette. And what it was, it was during the the city election, and we had the 705, the young professional organization there, supply five or six people that got up on stage at this very cool venue and told, you know, really, what was their vision for Lafayette? And in between those little stump speeches, we had a local band play. Of course, there's beer and there's, you know, wine. We invited all the politicians, but they weren't allowed to talk. Nice. So really nice. They, and of course, they, they all, had to listen. They to had to listen. Is. And then afterwards, obviously, they had the opportunity to interact with the young professional group. So that's just an example of an, a way to say, okay, this is who we are. They don't. They thought about you know the Daily sure. Advertiser in that instant in a different way yeah. than they would have just this old print product. So trying to find tactics mm-hmm. that you can expose your brand and what you have to offer that gets the hook is, yeah you know and then through digital i mean our digital subscriptions is there as an industry i think that's where our hope is right right <laughs> I mean, it's like that's how we're going to get the younger yeah. generation and you know that's back to your question about social media that helps because then you're spreading your content across you know you, you can be very targeted there across demos are y'all looking at doing something like that for instance with form 35 oh, here absolutely. those kind of events are right up our alley so um you know, like when I think back on how much the industry has changed in our, you know, in the time that we've been in the business, it's just phenomenal. I know everybody says that about the disruption economy, but right. it's just, it's a whole different business today. Do you think that the media today, the daily print media is, is better off or, or worse? Um, I think it's actually better off just in terms of the technological advancements and being able to pull data in that we really, you know, we, it was a it was much more cumbersome to pull data. I mean, it was a physical task as right. opposed to a click of a button. And so I think it gives us a little bit more depth in terms of expertise because we can do, you know, kind of that planning and preparing before either, you know, before a news story or before a sales call that we weren't yeah. able to do. And so we can talk about trends and we can help businesses like connect the dots but also readers do the same thing and just the information oh, you know that you crazy. can use when you're researching a story for instance just that's boom, right boom, or to get in touch with somebody exactly it's so so easy today you know and we used to have to look it all up in big thick volumes right. or go to the public library and research it what's what is the future for the advocate do you can you speak to what john george's has planned um <laughs> you know say for the next three to five years what is his business model does he keep growing does he have an exit strategy at some point we definitely does it exit is not in the cards when actually when I interviewed with John I asked him I said you know what why did you buy the advocate because you know I was like okay I want to really understand he's invested for the right reason and you know his answer and he says this over and over is first of all when he buys a business at his age he wants to it to you know pique his curiosity Mm -hmm. he wants to learn something but he really wants to have a legacy for his family 
in South Louisiana. And so that's really where his heart is. And, you know, it's not his mainline business by any stretch right. of imagination. But he's also been intrigued by the opportunity to buck trends and to grow. Yeah. So we are, I mean, we're looking at some small acquisitions right now. Nothing of any, the scale of, of the Dines Picayune and NOLA. But he likes the contiguous footprint across I-10. In fact, he's has said in many rotaries <laughs> speeches yeah. that he would like to own between Lake Charles right? and the so, Mississippi line. So and you is never the American know. press again at newspaper also? No, it's not. It's it, it's family owned. Right. It's yes. still family owned. It's still family owned. So there's a possibility so there's an there. Imprint, and then also looking at, you know, diverse kind of complementary business lines, you know, do we, you know, buy some other business that we bolt on? But mm-hmm. you know, he mm-hmm. is one of those owners that if it's the if, if it's the right fit, he's willing to talk about it. And that's yeah. been really fun being in my job. Is he one of those business owners that is is very hands on or does he let you run things? Do you all converse and meet regularly or how we don't meet in fact we don't meet regularly every time i tried to give him a report my first year he would go corporate (laughs) (laughs) and that's just not how he rolls but you know he just wants to be informed no he's not hands-on day-to-day by any stretch of the imagination it's never told us what to write what not to write but what i do appreciate about john he can open any door in louisiana so if you know if we need to have a conversation or we want to go talk to an advertiser he doesn't go with us but he can make a phone call and open a door but he likes just to be informed but you know he keeps his ear to the ground so he'll if there's he'll have a question or two he's he's just a wonderful owner and there are still people and i'm not speaking out of school but you hear this that say well he just bought that paper because he wants to be governor one day right right and what would you say to that That, absolutely not (laughs) yeah and I asked him that question too because he ran for mayor and for governor yeah that's behind him you know he said you know I spent a lot of money didn't win and I feel like I can give back to the community in a different way by having the advocate and and what's in the cards for you three to five years down the line I would hope to be on a sunny beach (laughs) (laughs) and we we I will probably retired in about five years so when I came on board it just for me to help propel the business and, you know, to lean into the staff and to the organization. And this is the end of my career, and I can't think of a better ending. Do you like uh, Baton Rouge? Oh, we love Baton Rouge. We love it. You know, my son coming here, we got to see it through his eyes. We lived in Lafayette for almost six years, and what a great community. But now that we live in Baton Rouge, it's like um, we're, like, finding, oh, we didn't even know this was here because our our college son (laughs) – at the time probably didn't know about it so it's very easy comfortable place my husband works for a company out of atlanta so he travels and you know he's gone about 42 weeks out of the year monday thursday monday to friday and he loves coming home and just it's just easy friendly place to be well judy tersotis this has been such an interesting discussion the media today and what has been called the post-truth era is playing a more invaluable role than perhaps at any time in our history and baton rouge is lucky to have you leading such an important institution in the community so thanks so much for being here and sharing your stories and insights thank you my guest today on out to lunch has been judy tersotis of the advocate you can find out more about the advocate by going to the links on our website it's batonrouge.la you can find and subscribe to the out to lunch baton rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website it's batonrouge.la if you want to know what we all look like you can find photos from this show on it's batonrouge.la and on our out to lunch baton rouge social media out to lunch is a production of ino broadcasting for it's batonrouge.la and wrkf 89.3 fm 
The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti. Our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino, Dave Winwood, and Ann Edelman. And today's show was engineered by Colin Peden. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Mansur's for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansur's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansur's is open for lunch daily 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And Orange Theory Fitness, delivering fitness results for a healthier world. 